one time I was in a memory care unit and this lady comes running down the hallway, literally running down the hallway. Oh, the dog, the dog's here. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> great. And she comes and she gets down on the floor with him. And this lady's not young. She's got to be in her late 70s, maybe early 80s. And she just gets on the floor with him. And he's just, you know, standing there, sitting there, laying there with her. And 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 she is just talking away. You are just such a special dog. I love you so much. And all of that. And all of a sudden, I look to my left, and there is one of the uh, aides from the facility with her mouth open and her eyes wide open like she hasn't talked like that in months. This show is brought to you by Hospice Chaplaincy, promoting excellence in spiritual care at the end of life. For more information, please visit www.hospicechaplaincy.com. You are listening to The Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show where we talk about the psycho-spiritual and psychosocial aspects of -of end-of-life care. You can find our podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please don't forget to give us your feedback by writing a review on iTunes and any platform you listen to the show from. And now, here are your hosts, Joe and Saul. Welcome to this episode of the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. Today we have a very special guest in the studio with us. We have Colleen Hansen. She's a pet therapist. Colleen, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, can you give us um, a little background of where you grew up? I grew up in Manhattan, Illinois. Um, I grew up playing a lot of sports. I played travel softball. Um, Wasn't really home much, you know, always on the road traveling. Um, And now I live with my mom in Shorewood. Um, and we have our dog, Haley, and she is a certified pet therapy dog. Mm. When you look back at your early years, uh, what was your dream? Um, I really wanted to play college ball. Oh, nice. Um, but because of, um, I went through a lot of mental health issues. Mm. Um, and because of that, that wasn't able to happen. When I was 16, that kind of started happening. And I um, was diagnosed with bipolar depression. Um you know, I would go through days without getting out of bed, and um, I had struggled with um, eating and binging for a while. Um, and then even it got so bad to the point where I had ECT procedures. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Um, Are those the electric? Yes. So I had 13 ECT treatments. Um, it has caused a lot of memory loss, um, but I would highly recommend it. Um, it would definitely be a last option, you know, last resort, but Mm. I'm so thankful I had it. You know, I would not be here today if I didn't. Mm. That depression was overwhelming. Yes. Many times I, um, you know, I wanted to commit suicide and I didn't think I could hold on any longer. And I felt like I had no one on my side. No one understood. Um, And I just, I didn't know what else to do. You know, thinking back, it's like, I can't believe how much treatment I went through. And um, so I started out going to, like, inpatient treatments. Um, One of the first places I went to was Timberline Knowles in Lamont, um, which is like a women's rehab. Mm. Um, So I would stay there. Um, I You know, I couldn't leave. I would stay there probably for a month and a half. And... um, Yeah, it was a lot of girls with eating disorders, but also people Mm. who had drug problems um, and also mental health. And ever since I had left there, I tried to, you know, pay back them. 
So mm. every year I send um, Christmas gifts there mm. because I was there over Christmas and it was hard not being home and mm-hmm. not being with your family. And, you know, I just remember someone sent us gifts. So I, you know, I was so thankful for that, that I do that every year for them. And which is what made me want to bring my dog there and help support those girls. How did you find Haley? Um, Speaking of the dog. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Haley the dog, people. (laughs) Um, So about three years ago, um, my sister, um, you know, her boss, um, she was a breeder dog. So she had a lot of golden doodles and she was done breeding and looking for a new home and Um, At the time, my grandma and my uncle, who is special needs, had just moved in with me and my mom. And um, we said, as long as the dog gets along with them, we'll take her, Mm, you know? And it was instant connection. I mean, her and my grandma, (laughs) they loved each other. Yeah, You know, she would call her little pumpkin, and she was home with her all day, slept in a room with her, and they just, they got along so well. And I think it, you know... It helped her live that much longer. She wasn't necessarily trained as a therapy dog, Mm -hmm. but she was very well trained when we got her. Um, So like I said, we got here about four years ago, and she's 11 now. Mm -hmm. So we got her Mm -hmm. when she was older. Yeah. Um, So what is the process of training a therapy dog? um, So I had to go take her to take a test. We were with about five other dogs, and she kind of just had to do basic things like she had to be able to sit, lay down. Um, I had to, she had to be okay with like loud noises. Um, they would leave food and water on the ground and she had to be able to walk past it without eating it. Mm. Um, and then there was also a section where um, there would be someone in a wheelchair, someone on crutches, and she had to just kind of walk by and be okay with that. So. So did you notice those traits within her before taking her to be trained? Yeah. Um, I noticed that she was just so calm and she was just so well trained that I thought she would do great with it. Was there a particular incident that kind of uh, went, ooh, we got something special here? Um, I think once I noticed her, how she was around my grandma and then also around my uncle, who, like I said, a special needs very hard time seeing, Um, and, you know, she was just so well with, did so well with them that, and I think if she could do well with them, she Mm. would be great for this, and so that's kind of what made me go give it a try, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't train her, I just kind of took her and said, really, yeah. (laughs) I'm impressed. I made sure she could kind of do the things, like sit and stay, Um, but yeah, she, you know, she did great. You know, my dog, Mizuno, who is an old English sheepdog. And Mizuno and I, after my dad died, which was almost 10 years ago now, and we would go visit mom in her in the facility in which she was living. And, you know, mom was grieving, normally grieving. And she was doing the melancholy, the, the, the lowness and, you know, woe is me. And one time I was just sitting in the, sitting, listening to mom and, being the the good, dutiful son. And uh, there's the Mizuno sitting in the middle of the floor, just laying there, just laying there. All of a sudden, he gets up and he walks over to my mom and he lays down right beside her, right next to the chair she's at. 
She puts her hand down and she starts petting him and petting him and petting him. He must have stayed there for 45 minutes. And I thought, ooh, I didn't tell him to do that. I didn't say, hey, go see grandma. He just went over on his own. And I thought, this is something special. And that's when I, when the light turned on for me about that idea. And then I looked into the, the pet therapy thing and uh, Therapy Dogs International found out what we had to do. I did the, I did the training. I mean, he was trained. And uh, because I wanted to make sure that he was able to do it. And, uh, but look at him now. He walks himself. Oh, he does walk himself. That's exactly right. He, he actually leads me most of the time on our walks. Mm. But I mean, it's something that you recognize. And I mean, to this day, I still think that uh, when we were around uh, individuals, uh, the other day, in fact, it was just the other day this week. I was able and allowed to go to one of our patients' homes. We haven't been able to do that for months. And I'm like, okay, let's go check it out, Mizuno. Let's see what you got here. He, I, like he always does, runs to the car and jumps in. Boom, just like that. And we're ready to go. And then we get to the house and we walk to the door. And as soon as the lady opened the door, I dropped the leash and he walks in. You know, He knows he belongs there. And he smells around a little bit, goes to the patient who's in a bed. And then, of course, he comes back and he looks to me and he looks to the looks to the, the patient's wife. And then he finally goes back over there with me and him. Hmm. And you can tell, you can feel, you can understand there's a presence there that is different than you and me. And it brings a different, I call it a light, into the room that these animals bring in there, especially uh, these dogs. Mm. And to me, it's an exceptionally powerful time. I mean, I can look back and have tears in my eyes about the many times that he has touched people's lives. It's incredible. And I know that Haley must have done the same. Yeah. Um, Actually, um, this past October, my grandma had passed and um, she was in hospice. And we were so happy because we were able to bring Haley. And she just sat on the couch right next to her bed, and, you know, we kind of put my grandma's hand on her, and she knew she was there with her. And, oh, absolutely. It's very yeah. it's very calming. Yeah. Man, that is special. I know partly you answered uh, my question on, uh, uh, I was asking both of you, what makes, uh, what are the talents that make a good therapy dog? And you mentioned a few of the qualities, oh, you yeah. know, of discernment, seeing a need and just being mm-hmm. there. Uh, but what are, what are some of those obvious talents? Uh, that make a good therapy dog? Um, I think for Haley, um, I think it's just she's so relaxing and so calming that it kind of just releases any anxiety you may have. Um, And she's also, you know, with me, I I have a lot of social anxiety, and I enjoy, like, if I go on a walk with her, I, I enjoy having her, and I feel more comfortable striking up a conversation with someone. Almost she's like my buffer, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's, I'm just less anxious with her and she's just, you know, it's just that calming effect and yeah. Well, I've told you this before, Colleen, the other day when the, when I came by and you were out there with her and she's not a big dog. I mean, Mizuno, I can feel it cause he's quite a bit big than, bigger than her. Uh, but you know, not every dog has that. It's like it, not every person has a certain trait 
like they like they right. do. And this one, um, I mean, very powerful. I mean, she's a she's a gem. And I mean, you know, she you know, she, I knew that she knew what was going on with me without me even having to say a word or anything. Mm-hmm. She could, I knew she could feel it. So the instant human connection. Oh, absolutely, that they have. absolutely. And and you know, there's. You know, there's always people in the world who don't like dogs, and I understand that. But it's, you know, one of the really interesting times that I went to a facility for Alzheimer's patients. You know, they mm. were a memory care unit. And I walk in the door, and they'd, we'd never been there before, mm. Mizuno and I. And, and they had prepared for us by having everybody, like, in a, in a, uh, in a semicircle, sitting in their chairs and waiting for the new person or somebody to come in and entertain them or at least interact with them. Hmm. And I walk in the door and you would have thought that all of a sudden it was Christmas or the 4th of July because you could see the light in their eyes go boing. And it was incredible, just simply incredible. I mean, it was the first time I really had seen that and how just because he walked in the door, Hmm. didn't even go and interact with them as yet, but walked in the door and... It's remarkable to me to see that that just that, and I know that I'm, does that happen with you when you've been with? Yeah, definitely. Your- so when I would go to um, Timberline Knolls, um, me and Haley would kind of be in the room first, and um, before all the girls got in, we would all be sitting in a circle, and they would come come walking in, kind of you know not in the best mood, and um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, you know they don't want to be there, and. And then they saw Haley and they got just, they lit up, you know, mm-hmm. they started running mm-hmm. in and, you know, all just kind of huddling around her. And we would all be sitting in a circle and Haley would kind of just go to certain people first. Right, right. And after that, the, some of the girls would start crying and, you know, they'd be like, I don't know how she just like came to me first. Like, it's like she mm. knew I was having a bad day. Wow. And, and she did. Yeah. Because wow. I think they sensed that. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah. That is so special. They want to make sure that the dog can uh, listen to what you're directing them to do, mm. that you have control over the animal by having them sit, stay. Uh, they want to make sure that the dog is safe. So that's why they put, well, when I had Mizuno, they put bacon on the floor. <laughs> and we had to walk the length of the room with bacon on the floor without him even going to sniff. Because as we all know that we go to facilities and in those facilities, people have drugs that they are medications, not drugs, but medications they need to take. And sometimes they don't always get them all and they end up on the floor. You don't want one of these pets, these pet therapy dogs to ingest one and then something could very drastic happen. Hmm. Uh, they need to be like, like uh, Colleen said, they need to be able to be around Wheelchairs, walkers, canes, people struggling because, you know, they, they can't be frightened by that because the next thing they do is they'd run into somebody else who would have that, have that, I mean, could be knocked over. Uh, and like you said, loud noises, you know, yeah. they, distractions. They and, need no to, barking. and no barking. No barking. And no oh. barking. Exactly. And, uh, and, you know, you can't, you can't. Train no barking. I mean, you can tell them no, but they're going to bark if they find it. They, if there's other dogs around, you know, there's dogs around that every dog's going to bark. Well, not not ours. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not because I told them. 
It's because he knows that he's focused on something other than just having to be with that other animal. That is awesome. Uh, Colin, you've been open, you know, talking about mental health. There's a lot of stigma around mental health, and I salute you, you know, for being able to talk about it and confront it. And in the process, you're helping a lot of our listeners. I'm over here, and I'm listening to your story, Colleen, and I know that we're only getting little bits, bits of it, you know. I, you know, our listeners will not be able to see the the look in your eye when you start talking about it and your facial expressions. Uh, it's tough. Yeah. It's very tough. And for someone such, fortunately as I am, that I don't have to deal with it personally, uh, I have uh, my wife's granddaughter who struggled with, along the same lines as yourself, with uh, bipolar disease, uh, depression, uh, I mean, I I know only the very minimal tip of the iceberg of what's been going on in her life. And same with you and yours. I mean, uh, how did you f- how did you get to be so brave to ask for help? I didn't want to feel the way I was feeling. Um, I mean, I went through countless psychiatrists and therapists to get the right meds and it took me years to get on the right medications. And now, you know, I can say I'm on good medicine and, but that's something I'm going to have to do for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but, you know, all those times that I was feeling so depressed and suicidal and, you know, in and out of, you know, hospitals, I just, I didn't want to feel that, but I didn't know how to change it. Um, so I think that's why I reached out and, I, I feel terrible for how many people I hurt along the way. I know your friends must have seen you suffering, and I know they have seen you struggle. How can friends come along someone who is struggling? Because sometimes they don't know what to do, they don't know what to say, but they want to help. Right. What can friends do to help a friend dealing with mental health? Um, I think for me personally, um, when I was going through everything, I wasn't the person to um, just come out and say things. If someone asked, like if my friend said, hey, are you doing okay? I'd be like, yeah, I'm fine. Um, when really, I obviously wasn't. So I think, you know, if it's your friend in a situation like this, I think you need to ask more than once. And if you have a feeling that something's not okay, you know, just sit with them. Just be with them. Um, even if you're not doing anything, just... Be there, present with them. I think that, you know, just something small like that can help. Do you see any of that happening in your work? Can you really approach someone without being too intrusive, I guess? Um, I guess I just mean more of like your close friends. Yeah. Um, You know, say, say my brother asked me, you know, how are you doing today? And I would just be like, oh, I'm all right. And, you know, really, he knows I'm not. And but I'm too quiet to talk about it. I don't want to be a bother. And I think that's a lot that's very common is that we don't want to be a burden on people because we already feel that we are. We feel like we're causing so much pain and so much um, trouble to other people already is that we don't want to burden them more with our problems. Mm. And that's why it's kept quiet. Right. But you know from your experience that it's not being a burden. 
Yes. So what, what, how can you encourage someone who's listening right now and is feeling like they're being a burden? Um, honestly, even though it's, you know, it's very hard, you got to speak up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, not, not everyone has friends that will kind of pull it out of you like I did. You know, my mom and my family, they, you know, really force it out of me what's going on. And, mm-hmm. um, and then I'd start talking, but you got you to gotta advocate for yourself. I mean, because it's so, it's such a topic and it's such that people unfortunately don't want to know about it because we can't fix it. Right. And that unfortunately is what leads even farther for individuals, I would think, to become much more into themselves and not willing to share with others what is really going on. And I still sense from what, what I see here is that you really struggle with the idea that uh, I can talk about this. Right. Um, I mean, I do. I definitely feel comfortable, you know, sharing my story with people. Um, I'm not always the best at expressing it. Um, <laughs> you know, I go from one thing to the next, like you said. Um, but I mean, if I can just help one person and, you know, I feel like I've been through so much with my mental health um, that it would be an honor to just help someone. And, mm. you know, like I've had I've had a friend, close friend ask me, you know, a few questions about psychiatrists and therapists. And I was I was happy to talk with her about it because I know the struggle of trying to find a psychiatrist. And, you know, it's very difficult to get on the right meds and taking your meds is crucial. Mm. Um, just skipping a dose is not wise um, and not in your best interest. Um, and also trying to, you know, if you think, oh, these meds aren't working for me, I don't need these. If you stop them, that's not going to help. You need to really talk to your doctor personally and he needs to wean you off of them because there's many side effects for meds and um, if you don't go off of them properly, you know, it could hurt you in the end. So you're really encouraging here today to people who are experiencing mental health issues that are on medications not to not to think that they can handle it themselves. Right, right. And, you know, not everyone needs medication. I'm not saying that either. Um, like in my instance, I think it was crucial that I'm on medicine. Um, but it's also very important that you just don't stop taking your medicine. Mm-hmm. You know? That's powerful. We'll take a little break and then we'll be right back. Continuing to be a leader in the field of spiritual care at the end of life, Hospice Chaplaincy provides high-quality professional development webinars that will improve your practice of spiritual care at the end of life. Check out our latest webinars at www.hospicechaplaincy.com. Welcome back. We are talking to Colin Hansen. And before the break, you were educating us about um, mental health and your experience with bipolar. Could you give our listeners more understanding of what it is? Yeah, so I think a lot of people might not understand 
um, a lot of things to do with mental health because it's not around them. You know, they don't know anyone dealing with that or suffering. Um, and I think a big thing to know about a lot of mental health issues, especially, you know, in my case, bipolar, is that it is a chemical imbalance in your brain. So, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, well, just, you know, go take a walk or just feel, but you know, just change your attitude. Like, yeah, you can you can go take a walk and maybe it'll get you up and moving, but it won't necessarily change your attitude and your view on life and how you're feeling because because of that imbalance in your brain. So in my situation, you know, my med- my medications are crucial because it's balancing everything out. Hmm. Now do they ch- now do those change frequently? Do you have to have a, an adjustment, I guess you would call it? Um, I did when I was first, you know, trying to figure out the right combination. Um, but now that I'm older, um, I've been on the same medications for probably five years. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I, I wasn't sure if you get, you know, like a lot of medications, sometimes they just get used to them and they don't do the same thing that they that used to happen. do. That does happen. Yeah. It does. Um, okay. I am on one medication. It's called lithium. I do have to get um, blood levels taken like every six months, and depending on how the levels are, you may have to adjust the medication. Um, but other than that, you know, everything's stable. Mm-hmm. So you wanted to share about your experience? You want to jump right into that? Sure. Um, so later on in my um, depression, after being in, in and out of hospitals, and, um, you know, I had taken a medical leave of absence from school, um, because I was so depressed and I couldn't get out of bed. Um, and I had finally researched, um, ECT treatments, which is like basically shock therapy. Um, you know, and I had brought it to my parents and I said, like, I know this is a last resort. We've tried everything. We've tried, you know, all the doctors. And, um, so they agreed to it and we did it. And, um, what, did you did you make that decision on your own, or did were you uh, talk it over with a with a psychiatrist first? I mean, this it, it's amazing that all of a sudden this came into your understanding. Um, well, I, I just want to say that this was an absolute last resort. I, got, um, I understand. Yeah. So I mean, it wasn't just like you know I've been feeling depressed for a few months, and I mean I had tried multiple different. Um, treatments and all different types of therapies. Um, but I was feeling, you know, so hopeless and everything that I had done that I had re- done the research. Mm. Um, and mm. I had brought it to my parents and, you know, then brought it to my therapist as well. And they were all kind of on the same page that, um, you know, this is okay. Like, let's try it, you know. And I knew the risk going in that I could have memory loss. And, I mean, there was a lot of more risk, but... Um, the biggest thing I've noticed from it is memory loss of, um, like a lot of stuff from school I had to relearn. And, um, so that wasn't easy. Um, a lot of my childhood memories I had lost. Um, but I mean, it was hard. I mean, you went, we went for a few weeks. I mean, like I said, I did 13 treatments, so I did it twice a week and my parents would bring me at five in the morning you know, downtown Chicago, and, um, you know, they um, they sacrificed a lot for me. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just like any all my friends and family, they did. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we would just go straight home afterwards because I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I was just kind of so depressed. And and then one day my my dad, you know, had taken me, and he's like, you want to go grab something to eat? And I was like, okay, sure, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I was finally noticing, like, I can go out in public, you know. I don't mm-hmm. want to just sit in my room. Um, so that was kind of the first sign I noticed. Um, yeah. And then afterwards I, um, I went back to school and I transferred, um, well, I should say I was feeling much better, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) I really did feel like it did, you know, a 360. Um, you know, it saved my life. It really did. I'm glad, I'm glad you did it. And, um, and now, now you're changing people's lives with your therapy dog. Yeah. Uh, tell us about that uh, first experience now after the dog is trained and certified. Tell us about your first visit. Where was it and how was it? Uh, my, first, my first visit was with Timberline Knowles. Um, I had gone, I had to like do an interview and I brought the dog and they instantly loved her and they were like, oh yeah, absolutely. And... Um, you know, I wasn't really sure how she would do, you know, um, and they all, all the girls kind of just sat in a circle and she went around and everyone just, they just kind of laid with her. And at first they were like, oh, she's not a puppy. Like she can't do any tricks. I'm like, no, she's kind of just like, you know, calming. She's a a dog. (laughs) But yeah. But then you got kind of got the older patients that were there and they really appreciated her because it was just a calming presence, you know. Whereas the younger kids kind of wanted the dogs mm-hmm. that did tricks and, but yeah, I mean it's interesting when I've been with Mizuno that that, like you say, the older folks, of course, they have their memories of their favorite dog then, and even if they are in have in some form of dementia, they remember their those dogs, and how it touched their lives and what it meant to them, and the, their response is electric, because uh, the one time I was in a memory care unit, and. This lady comes running down the hallway, literally running down the hallway. Oh, the dog, the dog's here. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> great. And she comes and she gets down on the floor with him. And this lady's not young. She's got to be in her late 70s, maybe early 80s. And she just gets on the floor with him. And he's just, you know, standing there, sitting there, laying there with her. And, and, and she is just talking away. You are just such a special dog. I love you so much. And all of that. And all of a sudden, I look to my left, and there is one of the uh, aides from the facility with her mouth open and her eyes wide open like she hasn't talked like that in months. Hmm. Wow. And I'm like, really? And that's what I thought. Another one of those things that I say, you know, when people say, oh, it's just a dog. Uh, it, it's more than that. It's more than that. Yeah. And I would bring Haley back, you know, the next week or two and – the girls had asked for pictures of her to hang in their rooms. And oh, so I so had cool. printed some. And, you know, when they found out, because there were multiple dogs. So when they found out it was Haley that day, they came running in and they were so excited to see her. And, you know, they really got to know her and love her. So mm. can you share some stories where uh, Haley, you know, uh, played a big part or even shocked you in, in her interaction with the patients? And I think what Haley, you know, what she kind of did is, you know, like I said, some people she kind of just that you she knew they were having a bad day and 
you would see the patient start crying and while they were petting her and you know they knew you knew they were having a rough day and that she really helped them and and then you had some girls who they'd be petting Haley and they'd be talking about their dogs and how they miss being at home and yep. you know they miss all their animals and mm-hmm. so i think it was just both and i mean good in both ways mm. so it, br- it brings a lot of comfort yes. to the patients yes and the sense of peace, you know, through the storm of life that they're going through. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, um, definitely. It and, just makes them forget about their situation mm-hmm. just for that little bit, I think. Yeah. So how does she engage these people? She plays with them? or ha- Haley's not much. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't really do much. <laughs> no, no, she does a lot. It's just that it's yeah. not, she doesn't do the tricks. Yeah, so she, she does- prefers the passive role. Yeah, she kind of just likes to lay on your lap and, you know, she likes to be pet and um, she'll run up to you and just kind of like lean up against you. But she she doesn't do tricks. She doesn't play fetch. <laughs> so she's an old soul. Well, sounds That just sounds like Mizuno. That's exactly how I always called Mizuno. Yeah. He was an old soul even when he was a puppy. Yeah. And, I mean, he wasn't one who went and did all the crazy puppy stuff when he was growing up. Yeah. And he's just like he is now, like he was then, but he's a little slower now. Mm. But... uh you know, I, I, you know, my faith tells me that with the, you know, when we are with people, and you've even indicated this, uh, Colleen, when you started talking about being a presence and being there for someone, whether you say anything or not, and this is the this is the the loving presence of the dog that he that brings, and there's no judgment, there's absolutely nothing, there's nothing that why you know. You know, your your dog does not know that there is anything called mental illness. Right. You know, my dog know doesn't my dog knows that the people are dying, but he also knows that people are hurting that are watching their loved one die. And that's why he's there to give comfort to not only to the patient, but to the family. Yeah. And it it's it's incredible how you know I've taken Mizuno to funerals and I've taken him to uh wakes visitations and uh there's this one particular time that we went to this wake and this uh the wife died and the husband was right next to the casket and he was sitting on a on a, uh, on a chair and Mizuno knew him from before and I mean he just walked right up to this guy and again I'm talking to him and he's he's petting him and petting him and petting him well two of the grandchildren were there visiting had coming for the funeral and they had never been to a funeral. You know, these kids were their teen years. And they'd never seen the, an open casket. And there their grandmother was. And you could tell that they were a little uncertain about the whole situation there and what this was all about. Well, of course, Mizuno lays down on the floor and they come and they just lay on right next to him. And they're petting him for, again, 15 minutes or 20 minutes and just petting him and petting him. And you could see the change in their they they were relieved, they relaxed, they were present in the moment because Mizuno was there. Hmm. And these are the things that I know that people say, oh, that's, you know, why do we have pet therapy? And I think it, it is such a necessary uh, opportunity for people to understand what they can bring. I know that we have, there are, there are people who, goats who do the yoga with people. And uh, there's people who love horses that do the same thing, that do the pet therapy with a horse. I mean, 
animals have more than we know that we give them credit for. They have such a, a soul that we don't always think that they're necessary. And I, I beg to differ with anybody who thinks otherwise. Hmm. Are there specific people that either Haley is drawn to when you go to work? Uh, good question. Um, so me and Haley, we haven't, like I said, we've only been doing pet therapy for two years. Mm-hmm. And part of that, you know, we've been in COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've only been to the Timberline Knolls and um, Silver Cross. So we've had those two different opportunities. Um, I really think she would do well in like a hospice center um, with older people. Um, I think she is definitely drawn to older people. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm hoping once things kind of clear up with COVID, we can find a good spot for her. Or transition to hospice ministry. Yeah. That uh, is beautiful. That would be great. And Mizuno has been working with the dying for mm-hmm. such a long time now. Yes, he has. Um, what are some of the stories there that inspired you about her work, uh, his work? He doesn't, you know, when you start thinking about when you're, you're, you're dealing with people, I mean, there was this... Uh, one place that we went to and the husband was in the bed and he was declining and we walk in and he more or less ignored the, the, the patient mm. and he went right to the wife who was mm. sitting on the floor. I mean, sitting on the chair and he, like he did with my mom, go right there beside her and he's just laying there and petting her and I'm talking to her, talking to the husband who is somewhat aware of what's going on. Very hard for him to respond, but he was there. And a smile on his face because Mizuno was there. And they started talking about their dog life and mm. the dogs that they had in their life. And that is always, you know, I always like to hear those stories and how important. And as I'm ready to, getting ready to leave, I, I said to the wife, I said, do you know why Mizuno is sitting right next to you? And she looks at me and she says, yes, I do. I said, well, why do you think so? Mm. Well, we're dog people. We love dogs. I said... He knows that, but there's another reason as well. Mm. She looks at me with those inquisitive eyes like, what are you talking about? And he says, he knows you're hurting. Mm. And as soon as I said that, the tears fell. Mm. And, you know, he, 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 he senses, as you said earlier, that people are hurting. Mm. And especially when you start talking about death and dying, he walks into that all the time. And I kind of keep now to where I look at him and see who he goes to and where is he going to be and what's it all about, you know. Mm. Uh, Those are with our patients. You know, when we go into facilities, he just goes and visits anybody that, you know, he has certain people he goes to. (laughs) And and those that he just kind of just like, that dog doesn't like me. And I'm like, well, I don't know what that's about, but there's something there. (laughs) And, you know, I... And then there, he just knows the people that need the help mm. or need some little bit of extra support and extra love. And I know that's what, that's what Haley does. Yeah. And I don't know if you're familiar with emotional support dogs. Um, mm. it's, it's similar to therapy dogs, but it's kind of someone who has their own dog. They can bring them with them. Right. Um, right. You know, and like you said, they kind of sense things. And that's what mm. emotional supports are, support dogs are for because if people have – are about to have a panic attack or have postpartum, the dogs are there and they sense that. Mm. Or if they're about to have a seizure, um, that's what the dog is there for mm. and they sense it. 
So yeah. it's amazing that what they can do. Uh, both of you have shared really amazing stories of uh, the therapeutic visits with your uh, therapy dogs. Um, do you think, how do you think these dogs are benefiting from those therapeutic visits? Well, I'll be honest with you, Saul. I don't think they think that way. That's just my interpretation of how I see how he comes home and he's tired. He's really tired and needs to rest. He gives his all to the situation. And, you know, uh, I think he just, this is his work. This is his purpose. And I've been fortunate enough to be able to uh, see that and to, you know, do more than what normal people would say that they do with their pets. So, Joe, we go to work and we get paid. Yes. Uh, but Mizuno goes to work, comes back tired. <laughs> yes. How is Mizuno benefiting from those visits? I think he has a has a, me, a purpose in life, in his life. The feeling of purpose. Yeah, I do believe that. And I think they get joy out of being with oh. all these people and, you know, being surrounded by other people. They would have to be enjoying this to do the work that they do because it's very easy when you see when they get tired and they've had enough. You know, they're better at it than we are, although we can also shut ourselves down. And dogs can do that. They, you know, you go, I go to a facility and I notice that all of a sudden he's disinterested. That's it. It's time. Don't, not time to keep forcing the issue. It's time to then let him re, re, reinvigorate himself and get some rest. And I would kind of pay attention to Haley's, you know, how she was acting as well. Like when I took her to TK, um, now she's not a car rider. She doesn't. Like the car. Oh, really? No, she gets oh. very anxious. And um, But once we got there, she ran up to the door, ran around the corner. <laughs> so, I mean, I felt like she was happy to be there. Um, but then kind of when we would go to Silver Cross, I didn't really get that same feeling from her. Because mm. I almost think it was a different vibe for her. It was yep. a little more difficult. Because um, the patients were on a high bed, so it was hard for her to reach them, and I kind of just try to read her as best I can, you know, because I don't want her to be doing something she's unhappy with. You mm -hmm. know, I don't want to be forcing her either, so. Mm. So what advice do you have for hospice agencies or healthcare institutions on the benefit of pet therapy? Because they're not in all facilities. What no. advice do you have for those who are on the fence debating, could we let pets in here or not? That's a good question, Saul. I would, I would encourage uh, facilities that were interested in some sort of pet therapy to uh, contact the, uh, the, the Therapy Dogs International com company. Uh, what, I don't know what it is, but it's, you know, they're the one who registers and tests and does all the certification uh, because they, you know, they can then invite them into the situation, then you know that you've got one that is certified, one that has passed the test. Uh, you're going to have people out there who think that they've done it and they'll be invited, you know, they'll be thinking that they can go and do it and then all of a sudden you find out that it's a not a good fit. 
Uh, that's what I think you have to be careful about. Uh, and I know that there are facilities that are fearful of that. And I think if, you know, places are unsure, um, even just giving it a try. Um, like Timberline knows they weren't on Therapy Dogs International. They weren't part of that. So I kind of reached out to them and said I was interested in coming. Um, but I think for any hospital or hospice, I think just doing that, giving it a try, see how patients react. Mm -hmm. And if it's a good reaction, you know, maybe go that next step. Mm. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's, would be, I would encourage any organization. I mean, it doesn't have to be hospitals. It doesn't have to be hospices. Right. It doesn't have to be mental health facilities. It can be a business that could have an office and uh, to bring in that, you know, especially if you're in a high anxiety, high uh, anxious area, you bring in a dog and it's amazing how it can comfort things down. Colleen, thank you very much for joining us and being part of this awesome interview. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. That was Colleen Hansen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting in Joliet, Illinois. Audio Hive Podcasting is a studio dedicated to podcast recording, editing, and production. For more information, you can find us at audiohivepodcasting.com.